Tonight's Old Testament reading is Psalm 119, 17 through 24. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. My name is Andrew Russell. I'm one of the pastors here. Our senior pastor Glenn is away, and so I'm going to preach for about 45 minutes. Amen? I was just, I'm just kidding. I, was just, I would just want to feel, feel the audience out. I got my stopwatch, so I, I'm held accountable. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, O oh God, that I would decrease and that you would increase. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart so that we may see the wonder of your holy word. In Jesus' holy and precious name, I pray. Amen and amen. So Psalm 119, can I hold this? I'll just hold it. Psalm 119 is the psalm of, uh, many, many authors think it's David. It could not be, you know, maybe it's David. I'll just say it's David. All right. And usually when David writes a psalm, and uh, if it's David, it's the sons of Korah. It's always one's personal experience that speaks for the nation of Israel. The psalms were the song book of the nation of Israel. And so the psalmist's personal experience was the experience of a nation. And in Psalm 119, we find that the psalmist is going through persecution. He is going through some tough times. And so I want to introduce this sermon by telling you that you are not alone, that you don't suffer alone, that we suffer together, we pray together. We hear God's word together. We sing God's truths together. You are not alone. You're not the only one who has a job that you you work 60 plus hours and sometimes even overtime. You're not alone. You're, You're not the only one who has a hard time sleeping at night. You're not the only one who has a hard time parenting. You're not the only one who, is a, who struggles with their sexual desires. You are not alone, and you are not the only one who has a hard time reading God's word and being consistent in prayer. You are not alone. And Psalm 119 is the liturgy of the nation of Israel and for the New Testament church today. And so the title of this sermon is The Word as Counsel, and we're going through a sermon series called Experiencing the Word of God. 
And so this got me to thinking about counseling, all right? I know we have some counselors in the room, so I'm just, I'm just observing. I'm, I'm not giving you firsthand knowledge. I'm just observing. But I've, I've had counseling before on numerous occasions, and, and counseling shows us that our problems are deeper than we think they are, right? Has anybody ever been to counseling? And you went in there thinking one thing, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize I had these other things. And some of you, you think that you have no issues, and you probably are the one who got several issues, amen? So I, I, I would advise that you see a counselor, and they, they'll, they'll break it down. And I know this for, true, for, 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 for personal truth because my first time uh, when I saw a counselor, I was in college, at Covenant College, and I went to Puerto Rico and we did this thing called theotherapy, and you had to deal with whatever, whatever issue was going on in your life, and it freaked me out because I saw people dealing, and they were really emotional, and I mean, this one lady, she was, you know, writhing on the floor in the fetal position, and so I was like, <laughs> I don't want to do this type of counseling. I was, I was, I was like, I, I'm good, you know, I'm, I'm good, and so the lady, uh, she said, close your eyes, and then she asked me some questions, and she led me on this journey. It was painful at first, but it was ultimately for my good. Many of us think that our problem is the Bible is too boring, right? That's why we don't read it often. Or the gospel is too boring, and Jesus Christ doesn't excite us. Your problem could even be that you think that knowing Jesus Christ is Lord is a waste of time and the belief in the supernatural hinders true freedom. But all these symptoms are only symptoms of a deeper issue going on. Do you want to seek counsel this night? Do you want to ask God to take you on a journey that is painful but ultimately for your good. So Psalm 119, it is an acrostic poem with eight verses dedicated to each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You know, my dad went to seminary at Reformed Theological Seminary, and while I was a kid, he would come and he would, uh, you know, teach us what he was doing in seminary, the stuff that we could understand. And he had this song uh, to memorize the Hebrew alphabet. It was uh, alphabet. Gimel Daleth, hey, the Hebrew I left. So I remembered, I was like 12, 13 years old, and I remember this song. And so in the Hebrew alphabet, you have Aleph, Bet, and then Gimel. So we're, we're at Gimel right now. This is the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so the Psalm 119, 17 through 24 it is showing us that the psalmist, who I believe is David, is showing us God's word, his counsel in the midst of difficulty. It is an invitation for us to be honest with God. It is a dialogue with a wonderful counselor. And this counselor can handle your pain. This counselor can handle your fears, your, your doubts, your frustrations, your, your anger, your, your atheism. The sermon series is, is more than just pouring legalism on you. I know we're talking about experiencing the word of God. And, and for some of us, 
because, you know, we're D.C. Washingtonians, we like to work and we do it well. You hear these sermon series and you think, ah, I got to read my Bible more. And, and so you, you pile on to yourself more laws. And look, it is good to read your Bible. It is good to be consistent in prayer. But if, if all you get out of this sermon series is I got to read my Bible more, then you've missed the point because the, the Bible reading is a means to an end. It's a means to experiencing what it's like to be in a relationship with God. So I, I teach a, um, a songwriting class, and it's an elective class at Cornerstone Christian Academy, which is in Southeast D.C. And so, you know, I, anytime I write a sermon, I like to get feedback. And so I said, kids, we're going to look at Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24, and y'all going to give me some feedback. Can I use your feedback in my sermon? And they said, yes. I was, I was like, all right. So I said to my students in my songwriting class, what if I came up to you and said this? You know what? The problem with you young people is y'all don't read your Bible enough. You don't pray enough. You don't go to church enough. You don't tithe enough. See, this is the problem with you church folk. And I asked them, so how does that make you feel? And so they were really honest. They said, it, it felt like, Mr. Russell, it felt like you were attacking me. Like I was talking down to them. And so I, I asked them, was the problem the content of what I was talking about or was the problem the way that I was communicating that content? And so they said, Mr. Russell, it is the way that you communicated the content. See, the content is good, right? Reading the Bible, prayer, going to church, paying your tithes. But the way I communicated the content was in a way that seemed rigid and cold and attacking rather than inviting and warm. My brothers and sisters, I, I, I believe that many times we wander away from God's word because the content is communicated in a way that's not relatable. The content is communicated in a way that's rigid and cold. It's not inviting. It doesn't incite the, the imagination and ignite wonder. And so we listen to other content that's, that's communicated in a better way, but that content is not life-giving. It's not soul restoring, and it's not grace transforming. So today I have two points, but really it's about eight. I, you know, we, we, Glenn say two, so I'm like, you know, he's the, the head guy. We're all, you know, we're all in this together, but we, I'm going to give you two points, but really it's going to be eight. So, so for those, you know, who want to write down notes, I, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go through the scripture and here's my two points, all right? How the word of God counsels the servant and the sojourner. How the word of God counsels the servant and the sojourner. So Psalm 119, verse 17 through 24, begins with the Hebrew word gamel. So remember, Aleph, Bet, Gimel. So we're in the Gimel acrostic poem. We're in the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the psalmist, the first letter, so, you know, basically an acrostic, you take the letter and then you just use it, right? If it's an A, you, you start with A. So, gamel is the Hebrew word, and it means to deal fully, adequately, or bountifully. 
And then the psalmist describes himself, interestingly enough, as a servant. So let me ask you a question. What does it mean to be a servant? I'm going to offer several observations. You probably have some thoughts, but I, I think being a servant means that you exist, obviously, to serve someone, right? You're a part of a community. You're not alone. You have a purpose, and you're underneath somebody. Nobody likes to be a servant nowadays. But here's the thing. If you're a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you're in a high position, amen? You're already in the administration that's ruling and reigning on the earth. And so to be a servant of the king is to be someone with authority. Have you ever saw yourself as someone with authority? Have you ever walked in a room? And said, I'm a servant of the king. They don't know who I am. You know what I'm saying, Jan? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call out names. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If I call your name, it's because I love you and I know you. Because I'm not good with names. And so, <laughs> this is what a servant is. So, now, now let's look at what is the nature of the one whom the psalmist serve. He says, deal bountifully with your servant. Let's look at this. If, if the one that the psalmist is serving deals bountifully, se- several observations, it means that he gives beyond just the bare necessities, right? He like, he gives you that extra counseling time and he doesn't charge you for it. He listens. He, he wants to give the, the servant long life. Let's read it. It says, Oh, uh, uh, that I may live and keep your word. And he writes down his words so that the psalmist can keep them very close. This is the language of intimacy. So this is the one whom the psalmist serves. And so the nature of, this is the nature of God. God in, invites us into the real by speaking to us and sharing his inner thoughts. God counsels us through his word and we enter the office of God's counseling service and we find out that he deals bountifully. The servant asks God to deal with him not based on his merit, not based on his years of service or lack of service, but based on the bountiful grace of God. I know it to be God's grace because it is bountiful. It is more than enough. There's a song that says, my God is more than enough. He will supply all my needs. He is my El Shaddai. He always works, looks out for me. Jehovah Jireh, he is my God. So this is the nature of who God is. God deals bountifully. God gives abundant mercy and abundant grace. God is not stingy. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it what? Abundantly. And what is this abundant life? It is the eternal life of God, which is a gift to all who would believe on him. And what is this eternal life? Jesus says in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is this gift of eternal life, this, this grand thing that, that lasts throughout all eternity? Is, it's just knowing. It's just knowing God. It's being in relationship with God. It speaks of intimacy. So let me ask you the question, do you know the only one true God? Do you know his son, Jesus Christ? Let's look at verse 18. Verse 18 says this. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things of your law. Verse 18 shows us that it takes faith and spiritual sight for a servant of God to read scripture. Because on the, on the surface, God's word seems long and boring. Psalms 119 is one of the longest psalms in the book of the Bible. It is the longest chapter. It has 176 verses. I mean, when was the last time you read 176 verses? So, and then it seems unstructured and chaotic. It, it repeats itself, laws, testimonies, statutes. And, it's, and it seems disjointed and not easily understood. It's long. And it seems like it's boring. But this disjointed, uh, seemingly disjointed psalm, Really, it's, it's the way that we uh, approach the psalm. If we see it as just disjointed and not easily understood, it's just like our lives, right? We, we, it's hard to see order when your life is disordered. It's hard to see beauty and wonder when your life is filled with mundane, uninspiring commonness. It's hard to see anything if your eyes have been closed. And so I love the request, uh, God, uh, request to God to open the eyes of his servant. Now, when you read scripture, do you, do you, you know, before you read scripture, do you say, Lord, my eyes are blind. Lord, I don't really feel it right now. Open my eyes so that, so that I may see the wonder of your word. And my brothers and sisters I believe God will answer that prayer. Amen. This reminds me of the request of Elisha's servant in Dothan in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. The scripture says this, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When I read scripture, a lot of times I feel like the servant of Elisha looking at the ar army surrounding me. All I can see is what's in front of me, and what's in front of me, it's the disposition of my heart. It's the circumstances of my life. It's my mood. Back to Cornerstone Christian Academy. So at the start of class, I asked all the students in my songwriting class, without telling them what I was going to talk about, how do you feel? And so they listed several things. They, they said, I, I, I'm tired. 
I'm sleepy. I want to go home. And, 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 you know, delete this part that I'm about to say. I'm just kidding. But somebody said, I need a drink. And I was like, really? How old are you? This is high school, you know, this is juniors and seniors. Anyway, if, 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 if anybody from Cornerstone is going to listen to this message, I want to say that y'all are a great organization, um, and what I said has no bearing. It doesn't, yeah, you know, you know, I need a lawyer to help me out. But anyway, so I said, if you feel this way, how do you think you're going to engage anything? Sleepy, tired, bored, like you need a drink. And so when we approach, when we think about reading God's word and experiencing the word of God, we got to be honest with how we're feeling. I I told my class, there are some of the most, I'm telling you, if you want to meet some honest people, talk to teenagers. They they are unbridled, unadulterated. They will give you the truth. And I think a lot of times we, we come to God thinking like God can handle our honesty. God can't handle the fact that, you know what, we think this is boring. We think, I'm tired, Lord. I'm in, not in the mood. You're not really doing much. I feel like the servant of Dothan. Armies are surrounding me, and I'm just dealing with what's in front of me. I don't have time to ask for spiritual insight to see the wonder of your word. But my brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this, that you were created for wonder. You were created to have eyes that would behold the beauty of Scripture and that would incite the imagination, that would make your heart sing, that make you start rhyming like Shakespeare. You know what I'm saying? Make you start singing like Chrissy and Kyle. This is, this is the wonder that you were created for. This is a poem, friends. Psalm 119 is a poem. It's an, it's an, an acrostic poem. God is showing you that he deals in poetry. He deals in music. You were created for wonder. Charles Spurgeon said, some men can perceive no wonders in the gospel, but David felt sure that there were glorious things in the law. He had not even half of the Bible, but he prized it more than some men and women prize the whole. When he said, Show, open my eyes so that I can see the wonder, he was talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I mean, come on now. Have you ever read like, Lord, open my eyes to see the wonder of Leviticus? And that's all he had. And look at how he's talking. He's talking. He's rhyming. He's singing. He's talking in poetry. And you're like, what, did, you, did you read Revelation? He's like, I, I don't even know about Revelation. I know about the Torah. So my brothers and sisters, we have a greater revelation than this poetry writing psalmist who was singing and, and dancing and talking about longings and wonder. And we have 61 more books than this brother ever had. And yet, it's boring. Yet, it, it, it's like you got to get a trainer to get you ready to read the word of God. You got to do your stretches, you know. You got to, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, I, I want to encourage us that we have a better word. And so, let's go on to the second point. The servant of God is also a sojourner and not a citizen of this world. 
So the sojourner is a stranger in the earth. He or she doesn't fit in. They are in the world, but not of it. Have you ever felt like you didn't fit in? Have you ever felt like a sojourner in the world? Well, my brothers and sisters, God is here to counsel you, and he will not hide his commandments from you. His commandments will be your home away from home. When you're, when you're wandering in the wilderness of life, God's commands will be a home away from home. And, and the sojourner also longs for God's rules at all times, at all times, in the good and in the bad. I'm telling you, you know when you need counseling? You need counseling when everything is going good. You need counseling when you like, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't have a care of the world. Because trust me, if you go to the counselor, they'll be like, so tell me more about that not having a care. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> you know. And plus, it prepares you for when the bad times do come. You're already in the rhythm. I'm already in the rhythm of seeking God's counsel whether it's good or bad. And so, you know, when bad times come my way, when people start plotting against me, I say, I'm a servant of the king. And my God deals bountifully. This is how God treats the wanderer, the sojourner, the person that doesn't fit in. And check this part out. This one was a hard one for me when I read it. This is it here. Verse 21 you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. And so I was like, Lord, who are you talking about? What in the world is going on here? My brothers and sisters, if you ever have a question, like you come into a part of Scripture that doesn't make sense, let me just give you a principle. Scripture always interprets Scripture. So look within Psalm 119 and see, okay, who are, the, who are the accursed ones? Who are these prideful people? Who, who is this psalmist talking about? Because uh, I, I bet, you know, if you read this, a lot of us would say it's those people, right? It's the, it's the non-believers. It's the liberals. It's the far-right conservatives. Those people. But if we look at Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture, we will see that in Psalm 119, verse 67, the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Psalm 119, verses 176, I have gone astray like lost sheep. Seek your servant. You see, the psalmist includes himself in the list of the proud and the arrogant First Peter 4.17 says judgment begins in the house of the Lord. If you read a passage of scripture and you think it's probably talking about somebody, someone else, it might be talking to you. And this is the beauty of scripture. The psalmist says it is I who wonder. It is I who stray. It is I who uh, uh, am sometimes proud and arrogant. And how does the psalmist talk about God? He says rebuke me. You know, the proverb says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. You know, somebody can only rebuke you if they know you really well. Amen. Any, any married couples in the room? Amen. You're like, man, my spouse knows how to whoo, get underneath my skin because they know you. And guess what? It's better, it's better for someone who knows you and loves you to tell you, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reprimand you. 
than to hide the love. Here's the thing. If God rebukes somebody who wanders away, remember the character of God as he deals bountifully. He's kind. He, he gives you more than enough. He's a counselor. So he's not rebuking you out of some stinginess and he's upset with you. He's rebuking you because it's for your good. And guess what? If he's rebuking you, he's talking to you. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. I would rather you rebuke me than stay in silence and say, yeah, I love them so much, but they'll never know. God will rebuke you because he loves you. And we, and we, we all live like this, right? We all wonder from the word of God. I, I wonder from the word of God. But you know how God deals with the wandering, wanderers? He deals graciously and abundantly. Let's move on. The psalmist says that princes are plotting against him. Those who are in high places of authority... It speaks of the stature of the psalmist because princes would plot. Princes don't just plot against anybody. They plot against those who are at their level or higher. And so this is how the psalmist, the psalmist is. Here's the thing. He's being plotted against by princes and those in high places. And he just meditates on his word. I mean, really? He doesn't fight back. He doesn't plot against them. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to, my, the, my, my mind is going to be consumed with the fact that people are talking about me. I can't believe what they said about me. They don't really know who I am. And we, and we, and we turn this in and out. I mean, it's like we can't sleep because somebody's plotting against me. Somebody's talking bad against me. Somebody's gossiping. And you know what God's word says? Just meditate. Meditate on my word. You know, if here's the thing, if somebody is plotting against you, like they are plotting, they have not attacked you yet. Because if you meditate on God's word, you know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So weapons are being formed but they will not prosper because I have meditated on the word of God. I have put myself before God as a sojourner and a servant. And I said, God deal bountifully with me. I'm going to meditate on your word. They, uh, Lord. And, and then here's the thing. While you meditate on your word, on, on God's word, you realize that you're more than a conqueror, that, that Jesus said that he's overcome the world. So meditation really is a military mindset. And our problem is that we see the word of God as something outside of us, something that's foreign to our bodies. But the psalmist is saying that the word of God should live inside of us. You should meditate upon it. But what happens, though, when you put a foreign substance in your body, the body rejects it. However, when you meditate on God's word, the body becomes familiar with this word and slowly begins to accept it. And this is when the word of God takes root in your life. It strengthens your immune system so that you can fight against the cancer cells of sin. And when you meditate on God's word, you find out that God's word lives inside of your body. You know, and I'll say this last illustration and I'll close because I'm at the 30-minute mark. I, 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 I'm seeing a chiropractor who's also, she's also a physical therapist, so it was the best of both worlds. And so she told me, she says, Andrew, everybody has three T's. 
in their body. They're carrying trauma, toxins, and thoughts. And she said as she adjusts them, she says that the, the, that she, uh, okay, she says the trauma affects the skeletal system. So the person who has gone through trauma, their skeletal system is sideways and she adjusts them and, and they become well balanced. And as she speaks to them, they're, they're, the toxins release out of the body and their thoughts begin to change. My brothers and sisters, the word of God is like a chiropractor, a physical therapist, a counselor who gets inside you. Remember, Ezekiel 37 says, speak your words and the bone came to bone and the flesh came to flesh. This is what the word of God does. Do you know the word of God like you know your own body? Do you know the word of God like you know your immune system? your muscular system, your nervous system. This is how deep the word of God wants to get. Because when we meditate on the words of God, we find out that God is a wonderful counselor. We find out that Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is this, and I'll close. For unto us is born. Let me get it. Let me get it right. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. I'll say this real quick. Before we know that God is mighty, we know that he's a wonderful counselor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that you are a wonderful counselor. I thank you that you seek to get on in the inside. Father, help us to meditate on your word. Help us to meditate when our circumstances don't match uh, what we think is uh, good or helpful. Father, help us, oh God, to, to, to come before you in prayer. Open our eyes so that we can see the wonder of your word. Father, I pray that this week that you would be a wonderful counselor to your people, that you will adjust them, and that the trauma, toxins, and thoughts will be healed by the wonderful counselor who is Jesus Christ. Amen.